consider that uh, this week as, as well. Well, uh, go ahead and turn in your uh, copy of God's Word, turn on your Bible app, uh, and we're going to move toward 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're continuing this series, The Cross Into Our Chaos, and we're still looking at what it looks like to navigate gray areas in our lives. And so uh, Paul here in 1 Corinthians 9 is going to help us see that God is not only concerned about what we do, God is very interested in why we do what we do. All right, I just want to say that again. I know it's not complicated. I know you understand it. But I want to say it again just so it sinks in. Okay, God does not only care about what we do. He is very, very interested in why we do what we do. And Paul, as he goes in and launches into this section, he's still talking about these gray areas of life. Okay, when we talk about a gray area, we're talking about a situation where it requires wisdom to know what to do in the given situation. Because in one situation, it may be right or wise to do a certain thing. But then in another different situation, it may actually be wrong or foolish to do that thing. And what Paul taught us last week and what he's re-emphasizing this week is that there are times in our lives when we must set aside our rights, set aside our freedoms because we are more concerned about the people around us and how our actions are going to affect them. And so Paul here in 1 Corinthians 9. And, and to be honest, I didn't see this for so many years as I read the Bible. It's like, I thought like chapter 9 was kind of like this, this, this disconnected, you know, a piece from chapter 8 and chapter 10. But it all runs together because what Paul is doing is he's holding himself up as a test case of willingness to set aside his rights for the benefit of others. He serves as an example who, of one who gives up their freedom so that others can know God in a deeper way. And what we're going to find here is that his example shows us that when we purify our motives, are you ready for this? Everybody wins. Every, everyone wins. I mean, does, does anyone enjoy winning here today? Can, can someone say amen? Amen, let's try that again. Can anybody, if you enjoy winning, just can I get an amen? Amen. amen. It's like we, we, we all want to win, right? And what Paul says here, and this is the encouragement for us today, when we purify our motives, everyone wins. And so who is it that wins? We're going to see this. You win, they win, and God wins. This is what we see in these 27 verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to read these for us. You can follow along as I read them for us. This is what Paul says. He says this, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who ser serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends to a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Nevertheless, 
we have not made use of this right. But we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord Jesus commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights. Nor am I writing these things to secure such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground of boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. So as to not make full use of my rights in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. That I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law. That I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God. But under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak... I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race, the runners run, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete ex exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray one more time. God, we ask that you would help us understand these words, but God, more than just an understanding, that you would help us to receive them and to be changed by them and to live a life of such purity and integrity, that everyone wins because of the work that you are doing in us and through us and around us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Purify your motives and watch everyone win. We're going to see that, that first, when we have pure motives before God, we win by revealing integrity. All right? So number one, listen. If you live your life with sincerity and integrity before God, you will win. This is what Paul starts to talk about in verses 1 and 2. He lays out the basis of his rights as a servant of God. And he provides these rhetorical questions in a series of uh, rhetorical questions. He first says, am I not free? And, and everyone would say, like, Paul, we, we know you're free. We know that uh, you are a Roman citizen and you're free to eat and you're free to drink and you can, you can do whatever you want to do, Paul. And then he says, am I not an apostle? And, of course, the Corinthians would say, uh, Paul, we know you are an apostle. We know. We've heard the story about how Jesus met you on the road to Damascus and is captured in Acts chapter 9. And he appeared to you and he commissioned you and assigned you. He sent you out. That's what an apostle means. He sent you out to represent him all over the world. Paul, we know that you are an apostle. And then he, and then he asks another question. He says, are you not my workmanship in the Lord? 
To which again, they would have to look around and they would say, yes, because you showed up, Paul, now we believe in Jesus. Because you showed up, Paul, and taught us the ways of God. Now we are living our life for Christ. And I love this. This is, this is how I feel as one of your pastors. This is how any of us, we were talking with, you know, the music and, a, and AV team before the service that if, if we serve God in any way, we're all ministers. We're all in this thing of ministry. And so no matter if you're a group leader, a staff person, a team leader, a pastor, okay, all of our work is evidenced in the people that God allows us to pour ourselves into. And this is what was going on for the Apostle Paul. He says, look, if anyone wants to know if my ministry is valid, if, if, if I am legit, they just look at you. And they see that your life has been totally changed. It's continuing to be transformed. And then Paul moves from the basis of his rights in verses 1 and 2. And he moves to his actual rights and drives to the key theme of this chapter, which is his right to receive an income for his missionary work. He begins in verse 4 and he talks about his partner in ministry, Barnabas. And he says, hey, you know, do we not have the right to eat and drink? And then in verse 5, he says, hey, do we not also have the right to take along a believing wife? I mean, he says, you know, the other apostles do. The brothers of Jesus himself, they do. Even Cephas, did you know that the first pope had a wife? I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, it's right here in the Bible, Cephas was married. We see that in Mark chapter 2 as well, when Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And so Paul says, look, if Peter and all these other, James and the, the brothers of the Lord, if they can take a wife, we can take a wife. And not only that, in verse 6, with this sense of sarcasm, he moves into what he spends most of his time discussing by saying this. Are Barnabas and I the only ones who have no right to not work for a living? When we go back and read the book of Acts, which captures the, the, the movement of the early church, uh, we see that Paul was moving from town to town. He was going on this journey and that journey to tell as many people as he could about Jesus. And in this major missionary journey, Paul made his way to Athens and he is there at the Areopagus and he's telling people, the Greek philosophers, about Jesus in a very understandable way. And then he makes his way from Athens to Corinth. And when he arrives in Corinth, he meets two people from Rome named Priscilla and Aquila. And he stayed with them because they were tent makers. And Paul was a tent maker. And so Paul arrives in Corinth and he starts making tents because his aim is to not put anything in the way of the gospel. He says there are many reasons why it's permissible, if not preferable, for servants of God to receive an income for, for their work in the gospel. And just look at how he argues. Look at what he says here. Number one, he argues from human experience. I mean, did you know that what we see in the Bible, it can be backed up and supported just by everyday common grace experience that people live in life day by day? He says in verse 7, uh, are, 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 so, are soldiers serving at their own expense? I mean, like sir, soldiers don't volunteer uh, for the army and just say like, hey, I'm going to buy my own uniform. I'm going to buy my gun. Don't pay me. All right. It's like soldiers get paid for their service. Farmers get to share in the first fruits of their crops. And so human experience teaches us that this is, this is good, this is just. Then he goes to God's law in verses 8 through 10. And he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 25 where Moses says that an ox, while it's threshing out grain, is not muzzled. In other words, it doesn't have something over its mouth where it can't eat the grain that it's threshing out. Like the ox should be taken care of as it is doing its work. And he says, of course, like this is, God is, of course, God loves animals and he wants the ox to be taken care of. But this is really stated for your sake. So that you are taken care of as well. In verse 13, he mentions that the law mandated that those who served in the temple are provided by, from the temple. In verses 11 and 12, we see the third uh, reason for the validity of of ministers getting uh, paid, servants of God, Paul here getting paid, that's intrinsic justice. 
What does Paul say in verses 11 and 12? He says, uh, if we've sown spiritual things among you, is it not too much that we reap material things? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? In other words, like, these other people are getting paid for their work in the gospel, but not us. And then he says in verse 14, even Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 10, verse 7, we see that Jesus sends out his apostles and he says, the laborer is worthy of their wages. And so Paul is saying, look, it's our, it's our right for these fourfold reasons. And if we were to go to 1 Timothy chapter 5, he actually instructs the church at Ephesus to compensate those who are serving in ministry. And so as we cover this, this is a good time for me to stop and pause and say, if you have been a part of Redemption Hill, and you are a regular contributor to the work of ministry. Yes, not only do you support our staff who serves, including me, thank you. Okay, but you help pay the rent. You help run ministries. You help send missionaries all over the world with every dollar that you contribute. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you on behalf of our pastors. Thank you on behalf of our staff. Thank you on behalf of one another, right, because we're all in this together. Let's just give it up for every person who is contributing to the work of God in Redemption Hill. Now listen, some of you are new. I see your first time gifts bags, great job connections team. Okay, so if you're brand new to Redemption Hill, we don't expect you to give a dime. We just expect you to say, hey, what's this church about? And can I learn about Jesus here and learn what it means to follow him? But then some of you, maybe you, you've been a part of Redemption Hill for a while, but maybe we haven't even done a good job of telling you how you can give. You can go to our app. There's a give option. You can go to our website or there are other ways as well. But we are all in this together. And Paul lays out reasons why this is good and godly to be about this work. But then look what he does. In verses 12 and verses 15, he says, even though it is my right, to be compensated, to not be over here making tents to support myself. I'm not making use of my rights. And look at why he says, the first reason is this. I would rather suffer, this is what he says in verse 12. I would rather suffer than be a stumbling block to someone understanding who Jesus is. What does he say? He says, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now, we have to back up and ask, like, Paul, if you've just given us all these reasons, really five reasons when you talk about 1 Timothy chapter 5, then why is it that you would say, hey, receiving pay could be a stumbling block to the people in Corinth? And here is the reason. We saw this early on when we started studying the book of 1 Corinthians, that uh, in Corinth, they, they didn't, like, have these wild, amazing concerts at the TD Garden, all right, where everyone was going and spending their money to, you know, hear the latest, greatest bands, okay. What they valued actually, believe it or not, can you believe it, was public speaking, all right. Orators captured crowds and drew crowds in, and, and they were often paid generously for how well they could captivate a crowd. And so Paul says, look, if, if, if people think that this is what the, I'm about, that I'm showing up to tell you that there is a man who came from heaven to die on a cross for you and rise from the dead just so that I can get a paycheck. I'll never, ever take a paycheck. There was, this was culturally, uh, contextually bound in terms of the, the motivation for Paul saying, look, I'm not in this for a paycheck. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, I believe, he talks about so many who peddle God's word for a profit. And we still have this today. You know this. You can turn on the TV and see these televangelists, not all of them, thank God, but so many that are just like, hey, if you sow this seed, then you'll get so much money. And it's like, What? That's not, that's not what the Bible says. And so many are still peddling God's word for a profit. And Paul says, that's not what we're about. This is why we're offering it free of charge. But then he goes on in verses 15 through 18. And I love this. And this just resonates with me so much. He says, look, we are not motivated by an external motivation, but we are under an internal compulsion. We, we, this is something we have to do. This is something that, that 
God has assigned us and called us, and there is nothing else that we would rather do. Look what he says in verse 15. I would rather die. I mean, think about that. I would rather die than have someone deprive me of my ground for boasting. When Paul's talking about boasting, he's not talking about, oh, look at me, Paul, how great I am, you know. I'm not getting paid, but these other people are, but I'm even better than them. He's not, that's not boasting, right? What he's saying is, I take pride in the work that God has called me to do. I am amazed that God invited me in to preach his gospel. And in Corinth, when I do it, to preach it free of charge. This was his boast. And we know he's not boasting about his preaching because if you just keep reading, when you have a question in the scriptures, in verse 16, he says what? For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. I just, just like I'm up here today, like what do I have to boast in? I just, I'm just giving what I've received from God right here in the scriptures, right? Doing the best I can. And this is what Paul's attitude was like as well. But then he says, look, I'm not talking about boasting in my assignment to preach, but necessity is laid upon me. He says, in other translations, he says, I am compelled to this. It's something that I have to do. In fact, he says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He's actually saying that it would be, I would rather be cursed and cut off from the life of God than to be disobedient to the assignment that God has given me. And one thing I love, so, so many people don't understand about pastors, at least hopefully ones that have integrity, ones that are doing this because they're called and assigned by God. Okay, if you spent time with me, hopefully you would say this, just like I love to talk about Pedro, whether it's Sunday morning or a, a fire night, worship night, or just in our living room. Okay, he's pouring his whole heart into this thing. And this is how I want to approach ministry of the word. If I'm sitting down with you over coffee, hopefully I am just as excited, maybe not as loud. Maybe not as loud. But just as excited about this truth hitting your heart just like I am when there is a larger crowd on a Sunday. Paul's words here remind us of Jeremiah chapter 20 when the, the prophet Jeremiah said that God's word was like a fire in his bones. He can't hold it in. He can't contain it. He's got to release it. And then in verse 18 he says, look, this is my reward. My reward? My my." compensation is not monetarily from you, but it is heavenly from God because I get to offer the free gospel free of charge. Him offering the gospel and not getting paid for it was actually a way to embody what we receive in the gospel, which is a free gift from God for us to follow him. And so why did Paul why did Paul do what he did? Paul did what he did because Paul loved God and Paul loved people. And if we're going to have a ministry that is worth living out and that is going to go the distance, we have to operate with sincerity and integrity in everything we do. We win when we reveal our Integrity, But then, number two, he's going to say this. Not only do, do, do we win, do, do, does, do I, I win by revealing integrity. Okay, you can win if you reveal your integrity. But then, number two, they win by receiving salvation. I want to read these verses one more time. There's such critical verses in the Bible for us. Paul goes on, he talks about his freedom again. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all. I would encourage you to underline these verses. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. From the outset in verse 19, Paul tells us what ministry is about. 
if you want to serve God, if you want to serve God in his church, in his people, or even in some kind of parachurch ministry, which is great. All right, listen, the, the posture of a, of, of a minister of God is the posture of a servant. We are here to serve other people. We are here to help people. We are here to build people up, to let them know how they can have this relationship with God and grow in their relationship with God. And Paul is, of course, taking his cues from Jesus, who in Mark chapter 10, verse 45 said what? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so this is, this is how we live. This is how we share the message, okay? It is not, listen, it is not come to me, be like me, talk like me, do what I do, serve me. But the posture of a servant is this. I'm coming to you. I'm, I'm going to learn how you think. I'm going to learn what you're about. I'm going to serve you. Jesus was so good at this that the religious leaders got all upset about the way he went about his business because in Luke chapter 7, verse 34, you might want to underline it in your Bible, it says this, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him. Look at Jesus. This Jesus that is supposed to be the Messiah, whatever. Okay, what is he? He is a glutton and a drunkard. Not true. And then he says this, and they said this, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Most definitely true. Most definitely true. Why? Because he was going to them. He was eating in their home. He was spending his time at their table. The ones that everyone else ostracized and marginalized. Jesus was going to lepers and he was touching them. He came as a servant. And he calls us to be servants in his steps. This is a word we need to hear. Redemption Hill, this is a word we need to hear. If you are too busy to spend time with people that are far from God... You are way too busy. You're way too busy. Listen, it's great to spend time with other believers. We're all about it, brothers and sisters. We're family in Christ. This is why you've heard us talk about groups 45 times in the last three weeks. And so I said it before. I'm going to say it again. Connect with a group. But listen to this. If you are so busy, and so busy spending all your time with people who know God that you don't have any time to spend with people who are far from God, then you might need to remind yourself that you are going to spend eternity with the people who already know God while the people who don't are going to spend eternity separated from God and from you. Jesus was a friend of sinners. And Paul was a friend, a friend of sinners. People who have not yet stepped into the life, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. The silly religious leaders that were calling people sinners were sinners. <laughs> and so Paul says, look, this is, this is what we're about. I'm becoming all things to all people so that we might win more. One translation says that we might win as many as possible. This is our goal. We want to win as many as possible. Paul says that six times in five verses, win, 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 save. Winning someone and saving someone is the, the synonymous, okay. We're bringing people from darkness to light. We're bringing people from being separated from God to being friends with God. We are bringing people from spiritual death into spiritual life. This is what we should long for. This should be our greatest desire for the people in our lives, even our children. Listen, it's not, it's not go make a bunch of money, okay, and be all successful. And it's like have a relationship with the one who made you. Ha know the one for whom your soul was made and 
the only one who will be able to satisfy you both in this life and in the life to come. You may not have looked at the demographics lately, but there are 755,000 people who live within a five-mile radius of Metro Square. Or you could actually do the, 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 the geography differently. Um, there are 755 people who live within a contiguous city or a contiguous city of those cities. And you're saying, Pastor Tanner, what are you talking about? The cities around Medford and the cities around those. 755,000 people. And listen, listen, our goal, just so you know, don't get it twisted. Our goal is not to be the biggest church in Boston. <laughs> it's not. That would be a silly goal. But our goal is, with hopefully all of the other churches in Boston, to see as many saved as possible. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm looking around like there are plenty of, there are plenty of seats to fill up. And then when we fill these up, we're going to fill them up again. Because we want our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers to know the goodness of God. And so Paul goes on and he describes what this looks like to live the life of a servant. And he says in verse 22, he describes it. He says, I am becoming all things to all people. And he names four different groups of people. I want to explain them to you because they actually have parallels for us as we live in the great city of Boston. Number one, he says Jews. And these were people like Paul. But isn't it interesting that Paul, because he's like, Paul, were you a Jew? He's like, ethnically, I'm a Jew. But Paul says, blow your mind, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. And what does that mean? It means that when Paul met Jesus, Jesus so radically reoriented his life that he gave him a new identity and a new calling and mission in life that now for him to relate to his old Jewish friends is something that he has to actually accommodate to. Because his life has so changed, it's so different. He has different values now and a different way of seeing God, the true way of seeing God. Then he talks about those under the law. This likely refers to Gentiles, non-Jews, who chose to live under the law of God, the law of the Old Testament. And so we can think about, you know, there are, last time I checked, a lot of religious people in Boston. There, there are not a lot of churchgoers in Boston, but there are a lot of religious and spiritual people. People that pray, people that believe there is a God, people that, that know there is something more in life. And Paul says, look, I, I'm going to do whatever I can do to connect with these people and to meet them where they are and to speak their language so that they can know the truth about God and his Messiah, Deliverer, Savior, Jesus Christ. Then he talks about those outside the law. And this would have been Gentiles apart from any Jewish influence. In our day, we can think about people that have little to no exposure of, you know, religion or the Bible or church. They don't know the stories of Scripture. But then the fourth category is this. He says, to the weak, I became weak. And what we find here is this. I've, I've never seen this before. i got to tell you. Uh, Paul has been driving to this point. He's not just throwing out four groups for no purpose to just get our attention of all things to all people. Let's like go down to the, you know, the grocery store and, the, the, and like these people over here, you know, at the park. And like, you know, these people that love sports and these people that love the arts and, you know, this, this you know, ethnic group and that, you know, whatever. Okay, it's like Paul's being very purposeful. He's driving to this fourth group. And Richard Hayes, uh, a brilliant scholar, helped me see this. We see this for two reasons. We know this for two reasons. Okay, follow me. Um, number one, Paul does not give a counterbalance to the weak. So to the Jews, like to the Jews, to those under the law, to those outside the law, it's like there's this counterbalance in play. But to the weak, he doesn't say, to the strong I became as one who is strong. Because his focus is on the weak. And we know this, number two, even more strongly, I believe, the argument is that for all the other three, what did Paul say? To the Jew, I became as a Jew. To those under the law, I became as those under the law. To those who are outside the law, I became as those outside the law. But Paul says this. To the weak, I became weak. 
He didn't just, he didn't just become kind of like them. He actually lived the lifestyle of the weak. He refused money. He, he probably didn't have much to put on the table. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not down, you know, degrading Paul's tent-making skills, all right? But I'm sure, all right, knowing Paul's heart, that he was making just enough to get paid to put some food on the table so he can go out and preach the gospel. Amen. Amen. Wow. Paul's heart here. This is what sociologists call downward mobility. That, that, that I am going to give up my rights and my privileges so that I can identify with this group that is more ostracized and marginalized. Paul says, I became, I became weak. I became weak so that they would grow closer to God. Here the idea is not that these weaker Christians who with a weaker conscience would be saved, but they would, listen, continue to be saved. Because how many of you know that it's not just you're saved and you're free from the penalty of your sin, but you're not still being saved, being saved from the power of your sin. Paul even talks about this. I'm not making it up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, when he says to those of us, Paul says himself, who are being saved. The cross is the wisdom and the power of God. In other words, we're still working this thing out. We're still on a journey to our ultimate salvation, which is to be with God forever in his presence. And so Paul, what he's, what he's doing here, this is, this is so important. We're going to get practical here. Okay, Paul is saying we need to be adaptable. Now, now, now don't... don't he, hear what Paul is not saying. This happens all the time in human relationships and, you know, leader to, to, to congregants or whatever. All right, so Paul is not saying be infinitely adaptable. Paul doesn't say to the wicked I became wicked, to the thieves I became a thief. He doesn't say that. But he's saying I, I, I'm, I'm adaptable, I'm flexible. So that, so that people can, can understand the story of the gospel. I mean, how many of you love adapters? Anyone love adapters? Can I get an amen this morning? Amen? We love adapters? No, no, no. If you didn't say amen, that means you love running out of charge when you really need that iPhone charge or that laptop charge. That the, you know, I, I was in Arlington on Tuesday, and uh, I just, I went up to a woman's table and was like, hey, can I borrow your table because I need that plug right there. I need to charge up my laptop so I can do my work. Anyone ever do that? Or are you just like, no, I'm too, I'm too like, that's too much. Pastor Tanner, you're too wild. I'll just like go home. Anyway, so that's why, but we all, have, we all have adapters, right? Like this is my ad, adapter for my Apple Watch, which seems to be losing charge more frequently nowadays. Um, and, and this is my uh, adapter for my phone. And it's super important, of course, and I have about 25 of those. And, uh, and then this adapter is a piece of junk. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything useful for me, right? We just need to throw it out, right? So that's no good anymore. But, but what, is the, what is the point of an adapter? A point of an adapter connects one item to another. You follow, you follow me? We, so we, we meet people where they are and we speak their language and we understand their hopes and we identify with their fears and their challenges and their sorrows and their joys and then we show them how It's all connected to Christ. Everything comes back to him. So if you're speaking with someone who is depressed, you might talk about Jesus as the man of sorrows. If you're talking to someone who has been burned by the church, sadly, so many have been burned by the church, then you might talk about how Jesus often reserved his harshest words for those ungodly Pharisees. To those who may be searching for satisfaction but never truly satisfied. Maybe that's you this morning. Take them to the book of Ecclesiastes and show them how we're ultimately made for satisfaction in God. I'll put it like this. If I'm talking to a baseball fan, I'm going to talk about Big Poppy. If I'm talking to a college student, I'm going to talk about champagne poppy. Some of you need to Google that. It's fine. Drake, rapper. 
Champagne poppy. <laughs> if I'm talking to a kid, Papa Smurf. How about it? Come on now. That's, that's funny. You guys need to track with me, all right? We need to get a little more culturally sensitive at Redemption Hill, okay? Like baseball, Big Poppy, David Ortiz, uh, college students, rappers, Drake, kids. I thought it was funny. Anyway, uh, <laughs> never mind. Uh, <laughs> listen, Jesus did this too. Jesus did this too. Think about John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. Jesus in John chapter 3 is talking to a religious leader who knows the Bible inside and out. And so what does he do? He starts talking about the rebirth and he's quoting Ezekiel 36. But then when he's traveling through Samaria in the next chapter, he's talking to a thirsty woman. And he starts telling her about water from which if she drinks it, she'll never thirst again. Paul is just being a good follower of Jesus. And this is what we are called to as well. So we, we clear out every obstacle, everything that's unnecessarily in the way. Listen, th there is one unchanging message of the gospel that can be communicated 10,000 ways. So don't like, we never change the, the one message, but how we deliver it can look 10,000 different ways. And so I just want to help you this morning because I think, I think one, of our, one of our barriers and, and one of like good leaders, good pastors, they try to remove barriers for people. They try to make the steps easier. So I'm going to try to make the steps easier today. Because I know you're hearing this. You're thinking, man, Paul's all about other people, no, friend, of, friend of people who need Jesus who are far from God. It's like, how can I live my life like that? And we think, this is what we think, that's like, okay, I got to be like Pastor Tanner. I got to know all the Bible verses and I got to be able to answer all the arguments. Said who? Said who? So, here's 21 ways. <laughs> 21 ways to point someone else to Jesus. Because last time I checked, when the disciples were just learning about the message, Jesus started talking about sowers who go out and sow seed. And what that means is pointing people to Jesus by giving them, pointing them to the truth of God. So, so here you go. I don't have a lot of time. I'm just going to fly through these. These are going to be online in the notes. You can write them down super quick if you're fast or take pictures. Here we go. Number one, invite someone to Redemption Hill. By the way, I'm putting myself on the line. If we do not preach the gospel on a Sunday, if you don't hear the good news of Jesus and what he has done, then you let us know on the way out. You let me know and say, Pastor Tanner, a little more gospel next Sunday. And then I'm going to go get in my prayer closet and say, God, help me. Because whenever you invite a friend to Redemption Hill, we expect that your friend is going to hear about Jesus and learn what the kingdom of God is all about. Amen. Number two, serve someone and share why. And the share why is so important, right? Because it's like we're, we're good with serving someone. We'll serve. We'll, we'll like, but, but do you ever share why? That God has served you, that he has changed your life, that you actually love them and care about them. And you're pointing them to Jesus. Number three, share an inspiring Bible verse. Just something that maybe connects with them or something that connected you with you and you can just copy paste and send. I have never had a friend who is far from God get upset because I copy pasted and sent a Bible verse to them. Number four, share a sermon. Don't share the bad ones, okay? Share the good ones, all right? But share a sermon. Just share a link. So easy. Share a worship service link. Oh, man, worship was fire today. It was like, oh, I'm pulling Pedro on the team. And then Pastor Tanner is like, share the link. Number six, share a podcast. It doesn't have to be a sermon, all right? It can be just anything that, that, that maybe gets to a theme that can point someone, start a conversation to point them to God. Number seven, pray with someone. I mean, you would be surprised that just offering to pray with someone, people are open to that. And even if they're not, like it's not, it's not too awkward. It's maybe a little awkward, but it's not like too awkward. So just offer to pray with someone. Number eight, study the Bible with someone. Just sit down and say like, hey, have you ever read the Bible? Like, let's just read through this short little book and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll learn more about it together. We're all on a journey. Number nine, share your salvation story, how you came to know Jesus. Share a story of how God is changing you these days. Because he's always doing something in the life of a follower of Jesus. Number 11, share your daily God encounters. Listen, if you spend time with God every day, you're going to have something new to share every single day. Share your daily God encounters. Number 12, actually share the gospel. Like, like this is what we usually think is like, oh, it's not 21 ways, it's just one way. And I have to share the gospel and bring them through the whole message of salvation and Romans Road and this and that. And it's like, well, well hopefully at some point. But it's not the only way to sow a seed and point someone to Christ. Number 13, give someone a Bible. 
I mean, just give it to them. You don't even have to say anything. It's just like maybe it would be good to say, like, hey, I wanted to give you this. <clears throat> just give someone a Bible. Or number 14, give someone a copy of, the go- of a gospel. Give or loan someone a book that meant something to you. Number 16, discuss a cultural event from a Christian worldview. We talked about last week how every person in the world is asking the key questions of life. Why are we here? What are we about? What's wrong with the world? Where are we going? How do we get there? Number 17, share an article or or story to start a conversation. 18, share a song. 19, share a YouTube video. 20, share an intentional social media post. 21, this is a good suggestion. Be honest. Be honest. Like, be honest about your life. What are your weekend plans? Oh, I'm going apple picking, and I'm going to pick up that, you know, pumpkin latte. And, you know, it's like, then we're going to do this on Saturday night. And it's like, it's like, it's like Sunday morning doesn't exist, right? It's like, be honest. Point someone to Jesus. Listen, we all struggle. We all struggle with this, but, but there's help. Listen, God is so interested in helping us make him known. And three other insights, super quick, all right, super quick, because I'm running a bit out of time today. All right, so number one, Paul, Paul does not say, he, what does he say? He says, save some. Paul had realistic expectations. Even the apostle Paul knew that not everyone he told the story of Jesus to was going to receive the story of Jesus. But he moved out with real expectations and bold faith. Number two, Paul emphasizes his role and responsibility. But don't be mistaken that Paul is not in the business of saving anyone. He's talking about my responsibility is to go out and to try to see people saved. But we know from chapter three, God is the one that ultimately gives the growth. God is the only one who saves. Paul can't save anyone. Tanner can't save anyone. You can't save anyone. Only Through our message, will God save someone and bring them into the life of Christ? But then number three, I can't pass this up. I love this. That's why I told you to underline verse 23, all right? If they win, you win again. If if they win, you win again. If they receive salvation, what what does Paul say? He says, I am so passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus that I do it all for the sake of the gospel. This is his motivation. But then he says what? That I may share with them in its blessings. We would expect Paul to say that they might share with me because I've already experienced and I want them to experience what I've experienced. But Paul says that I might share with them because when they get lit up by the love of God, it lights up Paul's heart and he goes wild and he gets an extra blessing out of it because when they win, Paul wins again. So number three, number three, not only do we win, not only do they win, but God wins because he is the prize. Paul actually models what he's talking about in verses 24 through 27. Because what Paul does is he speaks the language of the Corinthians, and we all know about the Olympic Games in Athens, right? But most of us haven't heard of the Isthmian Games that were held every two years in Corinth. So these people in Corinth, they saw the runners running. They saw the boxers boxing. They saw the kind of dedication and training that went in to giving every ounce of energy to be the best in that part of the world. And Paul is saying, look, this is how we are living our lives. We are going to practice the kind of self-control that he talks about in verse 25. We're going to be purposeful like he talks about in verse 26. We are going to live with such discipline that we are giving ourselves great to, to the cause of Christ in a way that is greater. Can you believe this? This is actually can be true for you. I know it sounds wild and, and you probably have a hard time believing it. But, you know, Serena Williams and Roger Federer, all right, and, you know, that number 12 guy. And, uh, and Tatum, come on now. Let's, God, please let him be the best player in the world because we really need him to be this year. Um, and it's like all that they put into their, to their athletic performance. Paul says, look, they do that for a silly wreaths that are going to wither because they're just made out of vegetable plants. He says, but the work we do for God, it's a work that we get in an imperishable wreath. That, it, that it's never going to fade. It's never going to go away. 
Because did you know that the reason we run, the reason we do what we do, the reason we practice self-control, the reason we discipline ourselves, the reason we keep taking the next step and the next step with Jesus is because we want to reach the finish line. And when we get to the finish line, what we discover is that the wreath is none other than God himself. God is the prize. He is the one that we are running toward. He is the one that we are running after. Which is the reason we say, God, help us. God, help us give you everything we've got. Everything we've got today. Everything we've got tomorrow. I want to invite Pedro and Sian to come up and they're going to begin to play. And I hope that maybe, just maybe, you and in, in your heart today, and with your, with, your, with your voice, whether it's audible or inaudible now, would say, God, would you, would you make this kind of passionate pursuit part of my pursuit on the daily? God, would you, would you help me pick up my pace, God? Would you help me run with purpose? Because I too want to set aside my rights, my privileges, the things that I can be about so that more and more people can discover the life of Jesus Christ and to grow in Him. This is why we're here. So I want to give you a moment to pray. And just whatever, however God has spoken to you, maybe it's, maybe it's be a friend of those far from God. Maybe it's 21 ways of, you know, oh yeah, it's, it's more simple than I thought. I can just point people to Jesus in this way and that way and the other ways. Maybe it's this kind of discipline and passion. You win, they win, God wins. Let's just pray. Just speak your heart to God.